So, you know, I sent this to you and then you said it made you infuriated. And I wasn't, I was in- I wasn't sure where the infuriation came from when you sent but- me that. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by Sharice Poon and Eugene Can. All right. This one is right up Sharice's alley. <laughs> is it not? Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously picked it for a very personal reason. All right. I'm going to just throw out some buzzwords. Teacher. <laughs> Controversy. Students not happy. Failing grades. Thank Over to you, Sharice. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for the preamble. So. Old school teaching methods. Oh, God. So what this is, is a... Guy that kind of looks like Santa Claus. Controversy, as Eugene puts it, where an article was published in the New York Times titled, At NYU, Students Were Failing Organic Chemistry, Who Was to Blame? The story essentially is that a professor, Maitland Jones Jr., was an adjunct, this will become relevant later, an adjunct teaching a course at NYU that a lot of students were failing. Near the end of the term, at the end of the term, the students collectively organized and brought their complaints to NYU about the course, not just about their failing grades, but also about the course in general. And NYU's action that they the university decided to take was to fire the professor, to not give this person another contract. Okay, so what is the controversy? There's several levels. One is about media. The media level is, I guess, not that exciting. So we can just talk about it briefly. Essentially, students responded to the actual students from this class, responded to the article and said that the journalist spoke to a lot more students than was quoted and also misrepresented the student's position. So this is their opinion of what was happening. And other people also, other people who aren't students agreed that the author did not thoroughly research the different types of teaching jobs, the different types of teaching expectations, the institution's rules regarding this type of class, this kind of structure. Essentially, there was this opinion that was a lot of people expressing it from different walks of life to say that the journalists wrote a hit piece, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. in favor of the professor gunning for the students. Okay, so this is one level of the controversy. Even if I think even if the piece was supposedly more fairly written, more balanced, it is still an interesting situation to talk about. The The interest in it is who is responsible for a student's learning and how do the people responsible create that condition, you know, create the experience of students learning. And do we even agree that the yeah. student's learning yeah. is the most important thing? I mean, there's yeah. many questions here. And also that do failing grades indicate not learning, right? Are grades a good indicator of students learning or should there be another metric, right? So I think these are the interesting topics in relation to this story. Before you ask me more of a question, I will explain what an adjunct is. So the background of this professor is that he actually had tenure at Princeton and then retired. Done with teaching. You know, finished. He's old. How old is he? 85. Yeah, he's old. And then NYU asks him back to teach a course as an adjunct which means he is not protected at NYU from being fired. Essentially, that's 
But tenured means you are Im- really, really protected from being fired. Almost like why lifetime th- immunity. Like why is that a thing in uh in like teaching? Like, That's an excellent question. Because like for example, an excellent question that I don't know the answer to. Now I'm getting fired up. <laughs> I, okay. You understand my because like no, what, I totally what a, do. I totally you, do. You do kind of have it in professional sports. You have like like a franchise player, but that doesn't mean you can't be traded away. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think is there not a balance? Like I've had these questions. Like completely separately from this article, I have these questions about how teachers are hired and given contracts and paid at schools. So for full disclosure, I teach and I'm on a year contract. So my contract expires in June and I have no guarantee that yeah. I get another contract. And also with the contract that I'm on, I don't get significant benefits. Yeah. OK, I'm not saying that I'm out to like really complain about these things because personally, it's actually not about me, Sharice, this is how the university operates. So this is part of the reason why I just sort of accept this. Okay. But, and then on the other end, there's like this complete extreme where there are teachers at my university and others in Hong Kong that could genuinely, you know, teach maybe one course a year. Uh, by the way, I teach seven. Okay. <laughs> teach seven courses. Teach one course a year. Could get really bad evaluations by students and not... N- not be able to be fired yeah and i just can't i I don't understand why it's these two extremes it's a byproduct of seniority right and i assume that they want to keep this person on the payroll because they add value and they don't want them poached away i don't know i don't know if that's the assumption but i i just i don't know my thoughts are not fully formed on like what is the alternative or whether tenure should exist or should tenure exist differently or you know, what is a better working situation for people like me, contracts or adjunct professors, even including the one in this piece? You know, I, I guess because I've only been teaching like a year and a half at this point. But my experience of this is that like tenure grants people immunity to not teach well. Mm, yeah, yeah. Cause... And then being contract, being adjunct part time creates a pressure that you do have to do really well. Extremely well. So, so this is the thing that doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> This is the thing in professional sports. If you compare people's performance in their last year of a contract versus the first year after they sign a new contract, it's often different. Like, obviously, you're going to try harder when you're trying to get a new contract. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what makes sense. So, you know, I sent this to you and then you said it made you infuriated. And I but I was... I wasn't sure where the infuriation came from when you sent me but that. But the thing is, you sent me the article before you sent me the other. Yes. Because then, then I got concerned. I was like, shoot, I think he's infuriated on behalf of the professor. And I didn't give enough context to the article. Yes. So basically, I was just like hella pissed. I was like, yo, man, the teacher's just trying to like demand more of his students. And then Cherie sent over these other tweets where it basically said that the teacher was doing a bad job by not really addressing the modern needs of students in a COVID world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually do, I'm not out to hate on this professor either, because I think there is one culprit that maybe we're not talking about enough or like people on the internet haven't identified, which is the university. I, I do think the university has a lot of responsibility in this situation of hiring him in the first place, probably enticing him with a lot of money to get him out of retirement. Mm-hmm. Or, or I don't, I don't know that for sure. I don't, I don't, we don't have that fact, but somehow enticing him 
He's got to be like a quasi-celebrity. He is in his world right? of organic chemistry. Yeah. But it seems very obvious that NYU hires him for prestigious name reasons and not because they thought this guy is really going to do a great job with our specific students, like the people who will be in his class. We just want to add his name to our department. So I think that's like quite a big responsibility on the part of the institution. And also the fact that, you know, they just fire him. I'm not confident like that was the only solution either yeah you know yeah. like that seems really like oh my god like this is huge scandal like we just want to make it go away uh let's just fire him like make the students happy i don't think this long term <laughs> addresses the problem of why were the students not learning it, the material and, <laughs> and how, how are we going to prevent this from happening again does it, that make sense it, like that's my concern <laughs> it feels like a knee-jerk reaction like that's kind of the thing like you know what, this is, we have some complaints. Let's just get rid of this guy. But one thing that I found really interesting is that because in the United States, there's a very different relationship between this type of education and, you know, the customer, which is the student, it also changes the rules of engagement, mm, right? Mm, mm. Like in, in the U.S., obviously, like, if you're going to pay money, you expect a service in return. And, like, obviously, if you're paying and you're failing, that's going to, that's not a good look. Yeah, no, I, that is an interesting thing I got from reading the comments on the New York Times. Sometimes piece. comments are just as good, if not better, than, like, the original piece in terms of adding more, more clarity, context to, like, actually what's going on. more complexity as well. Oh, these are factors that I didn't consider. And that was one of the factors that came up in you know, other tweets in the comments, this idea of private schools costing a really like extreme amount of money, like an irrational amount of money. I've, I'll look it up really quickly. So I just looked this up and the cost of attendance at NYU in general is $58,168 USD. And then room and board is on top of that. Another $20,000. Probably. Yeah. That's not even added in. So it's we're like, talking like hundred grand. Min, probably. Yeah. A that's year, a right? That's a lot. A like, year? That's sorry. Now I'm, context, getting, now I'm getting outraged. Like, for, for context, my university in Canada, I think it was five thousand dollars Canadian per year, not including room and board, but like five thousand Canadian in in this day and age. Like, so a hundred. And I turned 000, out okay. A hundred thousand U.S. is eight hundred thousand Hong Kong, roughly, roughly, per year. In comparison, PolyU, where I teach, is forty-two thousand per year. For an undergraduate. Yeah, that's like 5,000-ish U.S. Yeah. And it's and Poly U is a reputable school. Yes. Is this not insane? But that's the thing. That's what happens when you when you profitize. That's not the word I'm looking for. Privatize. No, no. Like basically commercialize. Basically commercialize post-secondary education. Yeah. No, and I mean necessarily. I don't even know. I, I don't think that professors and students can be fully aware of what that tuition number does to their relationship to each other. Yes. Like in on a day-to-day -day level, but it's definitely doing something. Yeah. I don't I don't think students want to think of themselves as customers. Like I I, I generally believe in students as wanting to learn and wanting to do better grow and to like as yeah. humans and all of those things that you go to university for. But their daily life is going to be affected yeah. by needing to pay this tuition amount. Their that parents are paying for it or in their student loans are paying for it. Yeah. And some of them are probably working for it. 
So, Dude, you cannot. Do you think you could make that much money in no, a year? Not, I mean, you have to have loans you or someone's helping it, yeah, out, yeah. but you, you're still working and thinking yeah. about trying to, uh, yeah, make any dent in it. And that will necessarily affect how you interact with your teachers and what you want out of a course and how you feel about your grades. Like, it is, um, this has only been discouraging, <laughs> depressing yeah. conversation about the state of education. I do want to quote one of the supplementary links I sent to you. So Jesse Stommel responded to this article on Twitter, and one of the tweets that he wrote was, perhaps the issue is that institutions are not adequately preparing or supporting teachers for the work of teaching. The increasing precarity of teachers exacerbates this problem by creating a high-stakes, low-support environment for teachers. And then he quotes the article, should universities ease pressure on students, many of whom are still coping with the pandemic's effects on their mental health and schooling? And he responds to that, that this is even a seriously posed question is disturbing to me in another false dichotomy. So I think he just puts it really well. I know we've been talking about this topic, but he puts right. it really well, this responsibility of the institution for taking care of teachers and students and kind of leaving them you know, on their own to figure it like out. Like, I have no answer. I'm just asking a question. But what's your take on setting people down a certain relatively less frictioned path because it's what's needed versus, like, finding that middle ground? Because ultimately, when these students leave and go into the real world, do you think their employer is going to change the way they, they operate their business to help the new hire? Mm-hmm. For for me, it's like, get it, it's tough. It's It's the pandemic. A lot of things, but honestly, when you go into the real world, people don't give a shit. Like people are gonna people like you're not gonna have managers that care. You're actually gonna have to need to find a way to like circumvent or navigate systems that you're introduced into versus like, hey, you know what? Well, when I was back in school, like, you know, we were in a special time, so then they did this for us. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm not no, trying no, to no, like I no, I actually do have an answer. I I don't think that ease pressure means being less academically rigorous. I think the academic rigor still needs to exist. The students still need to learn. To answer your question, students, yes, they do need to learn fundamentally what they're supposed to learn or what 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 is needed for them to to do jobs uh, by the time they graduate or what they need in order to be knowledgeable in their field. Okay, let's just say that because I don't want to focus on just like making money, but they should get that from their education. Okay, but I think ease pressure can look a lot of different ways. Like for example, this professor's course. Was 500 students. Mm-hmm. Was there no way for NYU to break this down into smaller courses? That that's a institution question. That's yeah. not on yeah, the teacher. Yeah, the teacher yeah. is given this like 500 person course to do what he can with it. Okay, uh, maybe ease pressure looks like one of the students' complaints was that the professor only provided two exams, which made it much more difficult for them to get a good grade. Uh, or also difficult just for them to assess what they knew. The school can say, okay, we, we require three exams, four exams, oppor- testing opportunities. So this is, these are ways to ease pressure that is not about, oh, let's not teach as much material. Yeah. Or let's yeah, yeah, know, I, I see, a course. I, see your point. Yeah, yeah. I think there are solutions like that. Or even, I mean, this is said so often that maybe it doesn't make a difference, but ease pressure can be offering therapy. Uh, yep. op- easier access therapy, cheap therapy, you know, affordable therapy. I think it is on, the more and more I talk about this, the more I actually 
do sympathize with this professor. I mean, he's not perfect. Like nobody in this story is really perfect, but I increasingly feel like it's the school that was rigid and inflexible, mm -hmm. you know, inconsiderate of alternative alternative measures that were needed that that would have helped. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you threw out those buzzwords, but that is a lot of like what my brain has been like. I mean, this is my second year now. And so I guess the personal note on this is that since it's my second year, I'm less rose tinted glasses. I still like teaching a lot. I still like my students a lot. But less. They're going to hear this. Naive about the challenges. And the challenges from all directions, colleagues, students, institution, physical location. I'm, I'm not trying to target any specific thing, but, but now as is my second year, I know what the challenges are. And so I guess I encounter these frustrations of like, okay, is there, what can I do? <laughs> you know, yeah. what is the change that I'm capable of making, if anything? This is, this is the really, really hard part because the younger you are, the more energetic you are, the more as you mentioned, rose tinted glasses, like you're, you're just much more open to like, Hey, I'm going to put in a ton of effort and I'm going to make a big change. And you realize actually there's a lot of compounding decisions made <laughs> decades before your time to lead you to where you are now, that it's not that easy just for you to snap your fingers, but like, I'm going to change something. Right. I think that's the most difficult thing when you start to understand how big archaic systems work. So in the end, <laughs> womp, womp, womp. you still enjoy teaching, <laughs> um, but you have ratcheted down your expectations. Me, I, me, me putting those words in your mouth. You don't have to say yes or no. You can just, you know, blink once if you agree. Blink twice like if you disagree. It's like a hostage disagree. situation. <laughs> blink once if someone is, well, in the room forcing you to say. I mean, I am still probably like dumb in the amount of hope i feel while also trying to be very pragmatically minded i mean and to be honest you are making a hopefully a big difference in the lives of all your students that's well, already you. a a big thing well thanks i mean i didn't pick this for you to praise me but it still feels good <laughs> therese for teacher of the year. Thank you. I'm put you on my reference. I haven't even letter. sat in on any of your your classes yet. <laughs> I haven't gotten an invite. Actually, you can come to campus now. I can sign you in. We'll make it happen. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by Sharice Poon and Eugene Can. 